0: A Focus Summary of Chapters 5 and 6 One dreary November night, Frankenstein prepared to infuse a spark of life in the lifeless creature at his feet. By the light of the candle, he saw the limbs convulse and the yellow eye open. His intention had been to make the being beautiful, but it was instead a horrid creature, with thin yellow skin, black flowing hair, Watery eyes in dun white sockets, and straight black lips. For nearly two years he had deprived himself of rest and health to achieve this dream, but once it was realized he felt only horror and disgust. He rushed out of the room to his bedchamber, where he paced the room until he could compose his mind enough to seek the forgetfulness of sleep. But his sleep was disturbed by a terrible dream. He passed Elizabeth on the street, ran to embrace her, felt her turn cold with death in his arms, and then saw her transform into the corpse of his mother. He started from his sleep, and by the light of the moon he saw, there in his room, the creature he had created, mumbling inarticulate sounds and reaching out as if to capture him. Frankenstein fled the room and spent the rest of the night in the courtyard. "'listening in terror for any sound "'that might mean the demon was approaching. "'The dreams that had been his food "'had now become a hell to him. "'The next morning, when the porter opened the gates, "'he hurried out into the street, "'where he walked aimlessly and in the sickness of fear. "'His eyes fixed upon a Swiss diligence "'stopping before an inn, "'and when the door of the diligence was opened, "'Henry Clerval sprung out,' exclaiming what good fortune it was to meet him there. Clerval's presence brought back thoughts of home and a serene joy, and Frankenstein was able for a moment to forget his present horror and misfortune. Clerval explained that he was finally able to persuade his father to let him undertake a voyage of discovery to the land of knowledge. In response to Frankenstein's inquiries about his family, Clerval reported that they were well and only uneasy that they seldom heard from him. Then he remarked how ill Frankenstein appeared. Frankenstein, reluctant to allude to or even think of the creature, said only that he had been deeply engaged in a consuming occupation, but that it was now at an end. When they reached the stairs leading to Frankenstein's apartment, he was in dread lest the monster might be there. Asking Clerval to wait— He ran up the stairs, threw open the door, and paused with a shiver of horror, but the apartment was empty. He ran down to Clerval, and the two ascended to the room, where a servant brought them breakfast. Frankenstein's strange behavior, his erratic movements, heartless laughter, and wild-eyed expression frightened Clerval, and he asked, "'My dear Victor, what, for God's sake, is the matter?' Imagining the monster to have seized him, Frankenstein struggled furiously and fell down in a fit. This was the commencement of a nervous fever that confined him for several months, with Clerval as his only nurse, since he had decided to spare Frankenstein's family the worry. Throughout the period of his illness, Frankenstein raved about the monster, until, at length, Clerval determined that these ravings must have some foundation in truth— By slow degrees, Frankenstein recovered, and for the first time became capable of observing the beauties of spring. He expressed wonder as to how he could ever repay Clerval, who said that he might repay him by getting well. Then Clerval asked tentatively if he might speak to Frankenstein about a certain subject. Frankenstein trembled in apprehension and was greatly relieved to learn that the subject was his family's desire for Frankenstein to write when he asked, "Is that all Clerval felt comfortable offering him a letter that had arrived from his cousin Elizabeth begins her letter by sharing how worried she has been about him, how she has longed for a reassuring letter from his pen, how she has regretted that she could not tend to him herself and how relieved she is to hear from Clerval that he is finally getting better. She then sends tidings of their family. Father's health, she says, is vigorous. Ernest, who has always preferred the outdoors to studies, has settled on a career in the military. The children have grown, but their contented hearts, like the snow-clad mountains that surround their happy home, never change. She then explains how it came to be that Justine Moritz has entered their family. Her father had died, and her mother, perversely, could not endure her and treated her badly. Consequently, their mother had invited Justine to live at her home. Carolyn formed a great attachment to the girl and gave her a good education. Justine, in turn, formed an attachment to her and even began to imitate her manners and gestures. Soon after, Justine's three siblings died, leaving their mother childless but for her. Believing herself to have been punished for her favoritism, her mother repented and called her home. But the repentance was vacillating, and she often accused Justine of having caused the deaths of her brothers and sisters. Her own health declined from all that fretting, and as winter approached, she died. Justine then returned to live with their family. The youngest child, William, she says, is a rosy child with dimples, curls, and laughing blue eyes who already has a sweetheart. After a few words of Geneva gossip, Elizabeth closes with an entreaty to take care of himself, to thank Clerval for his kindness, and to write. He did write, and as he grew healthier, wrote more often. Ever since the fatal night, Victor had formed a violent antipathy for natural philosophy and agony at the sight of his chemical instruments. Noticing this, Clerval removed the apparatus and changed his apartment. But when he introduced Clerval to Waldman, he was inflicted with the torture of the professor's praise. And when Waldman perceived that Victor disliked the subject, he mistook this reaction for modesty. Clerval noticed Victor's discomfort and endeavored to change the subject. But he never attempted to draw Victor's secret from him, and Victor could never persuade himself to confide it. Kremp was still more insensitive to Victor's condition, praising him harshly as having outstripped them all. Victor was given relief only when Kremp turned the conversation to himself. While Victor had come to the university to pursue natural science, Clerval came with the design of making himself master of the Oriental languages. Victor sought relief from his anxiety by making himself a fellow pupil to his friend. While Clerval made a critical study of the dialects, Victor read the Orientalists for their meaning. Their writing made him feel as if life were a warm sun and a garden of roses. Delays of accident and weather prevented Victor's returning home until the next spring. He longed to return to his native town and beloved friends, but at least had the company of Clerval to cheer him through winter. In May, while Victor still awaited news of his date of departure, Clerval proposed a two-week walking tour of Ingolstadt. The salubrious air and the conversation of his friend called forth the better feelings of his nature and elevated his mind. Selfishness had cramped and narrowed him, but Clerval's kindness opened his senses. He was able again to enjoy the delightful sensations bestowed on him by nature, and to throw off the thoughts that had pressed upon him with an invincible burden. Henry rejoiced in Victor's new gaiety, and he entertained Victor with passionate and fanciful tales from his imagination— or the recitation of Victor's favorite poems. They returned on a Sunday, and Victor's spirits were high as he bounded along with feelings of joy and hilarity.